Alright, here we go. Take one. <laughs> Music is something that all people enjoy, and the types of music is gonna vary upon popularity. But the one commonality is that we not only hear music, but we can feel it. Sadly, the survival rate of a lot of musicians seems very low, as a lot of great musicians have died at very young ages. And it only seems like those bands that survive are the ones that ultimately clean up. You know, my favorite band of all time was the Grateful Dead. And sadly, a few of the members died over the years and two of them were a direct result of substance abuse. Ron McGurnan, who was the keyboardist, the original keyboardist, and he played from 1965 up until 1973 when Keith Godshaw came in because of him being very sick and having liver problems. In 19... 74 he died at the age of 27 and his liver hemorrhaged can you imagine the age of 27 and his liver hemorrhaged brent midland who was the third keyboardist for the grateful dead he died in 1991 of a speedball jerry garcia who was kind of the lead member of the grateful dead uh, lead guitarist and one of the singers he died in 1995, which ultimately ended the band. And ironically enough, he was sober at the time, um, but it probably was a direct result of his heavy heroin use over the years. Now we're gonna meet today a musician who walked out of that world and he survived the horrors, allowing him to be a part of a great journey in helping others learn that being clean and sober doesn't mean that we have to hide from the world. Please stay tuned. See you in a minute. Hey, my name is Eric McCoy, and as always, I'm high, wall, clean. 
You know, probably one of the most popular American poets in the 19th century, his name was Henry Longfellow. He wrote, music is the universal language of mankind. Now, I'd probably say music certainly isn't a universal language in the sense that you could use it to express any thought to any person on the planet, but music does have the power to evoke deep primal feelings at the core of what we could probably call the shared human experience. You know, it not only crosses cultures, it also reaches deep into our evolutionary past. And in that sense, music truly is a universal language. Primal feelings, and this is what's cool, comes from the same part of the brain that we were manipulating to get drugs. The midbrain, the limbic system, is heavily involved in those emotions, while the what we call the nucleus accumbens is known as the pleasure center. Both of these are in the old part or the primitive part of the brain. Either way, music can assist us in getting high. My guest today is Clint Colton, and he is a professional musician. He's a guitarist for DI, which is an American punk rock band that was formed in good old Orange County, California. Fullerton OC, yeah. <laughs> he has recorded, he's produced music with Cottonmouth Kings, Ronnie King, Jack Grisham, Angela Moore, as well as, I guess, scoring soundtracks for films. Yes. So he is also a member of Rock to Recovery, and I believe also plays in another band with Wes Gear, who I had on a prior episode. Thank you, Clinton, so much for joining me. It has been quite a journey to get you on this show. My pleasure. Yes. Uh, I'm stoked to be here. Thank you for having me. And we go back before this, right? We do. So, yeah, you and I met um, at uh, when I was the director of Pillars at Costa Mesa. Correct. Yeah, at a treatment center, down one of the closest ones to my house. Okay. (laughs) And, you know, we talked a bit sometimes, but I don't really know much about your story. And you know, I want to start. I want to start out by kind of asking the same question I asked Wes, right? And you know, the music industry is obviously known to be embedded with drugs and alcohol abuse. I had, you know, I had our friend Bob Forrest. You know, was with Thelonious. Right, he was at our show. That's where I met him with you okay. were there that, the first time. Okay, yeah, and um, you know, he always explained his decision to stop using drugs because he always said. Nobody wanted to hear me sing anymore. <laughs> right. And I, I was a part, you know, I was around. I don't know if I wouldn't say a part of, but I was around when Theolonious Monster was like, you know, the buzzword in L.A. Like, who is this band? That was Bob's band. And, you know, so I'm a fan of the band. Okay. So what, what happened to you that sort of forced the decision for you to clean up? And how long, how long have you got clean? Uh, I checked into rehab for the first time, August 17th of 2004, and I've been sober ever since that day. So I've got a little over 16 years, August, September, October, November, December, January, you know, five months in to the year. So what happened? That's that's a long time, man. (laughs) It's a long time and it's a long story. Uh, (laughs) You know. 
I was born in Texas. We won't go that far back, but it started early um, in my teens um, and just continued literally for up until I was 36. I don't think I took a sober breath for 20 years. In the end, um, it was my band, DI, had an intervention with me. We've known each other since i've known casey since i was 14 um kind of knew of him before i knew him we grew up in the same town fullerton i was on one side of the town he was on the other side of the town he's older than i am so we didn't go to this but we went to the same schools essentially junior high anyway they went to troy troy was the cool uh punk rock high school that's where social d and adolescence and di went for the most part and uh my mom was hip to that, so she wouldn't let me go. Um, I'd gotten a lot of trouble in, uh, when I was younger, uh, so I'd already gotten arrested in seventh grade um, at, that high, at the junior high, and she wouldn't let me go to Troy because she knew that there were some things going on there. So I went to actually ended up going to Fullerton, uh, getting kicked out of there and going to military school and then finally going to Sonora. Um, my point is, is that I was kind of involved with the band before I was even involved with the band. Some of the guys that were on my Pop Warner team ended up being in DI. In the end, it was DI that had the intervention. And by that time, uh, Eddie, the bass player, who's my best friend, uh, you know, he had a talk with me. They said, you know, go to rehab or we're calling your mom. And uh, the reason I bring that up is we'd all been to each other's parents' house. And Eddie said, I don't want to have to be the one that has to call your mom and tell you, oh, deed. I was having seizures. I was 138 pounds and all the stuff that goes along with, you know, being living the lifestyle I was. Uh, and, you know, in my own mind, I remember being at practice one day and having a seizure and I literally couldn't move my fingers you know it was like neurological or whatever it was i the connection between my mind and my fingers and there was all sorts of uh things going on but you know i was scared that i couldn't play that may seem superficial but you know because i couldn't make it as a rock star anyway at that point but i was like i need to do something where i might lose my ability to play music which is one of the only things that i have that i think i can do so I checked into rehab. That was in 2004, you said, right? August 17th of 2004, I checked in for the first time, and I've been sober ever since that day. So today I have uh, over 16 years of sobriety. The reason I love to have, you know, like you on here, I love to have Wes on here. Thank you. Um, you know, is there's a different dimension to this because, you know, drug right. use, like your drug use, stuff like that is no different than, than other people. You know, I mean, we all go through this hell. I mean, you, you may be doing different things, but the substance abuse results in the same things. Yes. But the difference, I agree. the difference being, and what I love about this, and this is what we had talked about is that, you know, when you get clean, and then you still live in that environment. Right. Like you live in the world of, you know, all your triggers, right? All the yeah. that, that you, you know, and the fact that, you know, you can show the world that it is possible. It's not about running from drugs. It's about learning to live in a world where they are and not having to do it ourselves. 
I totally agree. As a matter of fact, a, a drummer friend of mine who's also uh, getting his PhD in neuro something cool and is, is relating that studies to music and is also um, collaborating a bit with Rock to Recovery. We were talking about the unique position that, for instance, I have. But um, yeah, to get back into that, um, I wanted, <laughs> you know, I think I'm pretty cool. I wanted to be cool without the drugs and alcohol, you know, I necessarily, and in my mind, it's like, I didn't want to change who I was necessarily um, in the beginning. Um, I just wanted to change how I was, I think. But then when you go through, for me, AA and the steps, by default, you become a better person, a different person, if you do them. It's not about, it's about finding who you are, finding, finding. Yourself, being yourself, and then finding that life can be fun, enjoyable, and that we still get high. Yes. But we do it, we do it in a way that doesn't have the side effects, right? We do it in a way that doesn't, we don't end up in hospitals. We don't yeah, have or you end up having a seizure and getting the nickname Rocket Man because you had some seizures, <laughs> you know? Is that, is, that, is that what you got? <laughs> yeah, because I would be like, you know, taken off in a rocket over there, flopping on the floor, you know, and then we laugh about it now. But, that, you know, that was a common occurrence towards the end. And I refused to do anything about it. What were you? What was your drug of choice? Alcohol, for sure. I mean, I was kind of a garbage truck in the, the sense that I was experimenting with a little bit of everything, especially in the earlier days. Um, I had actually... <laughs> I guess my, uh, you know, as it talks about in, in, you know, AA or in some cases NA as well, but, you know, my idea of controlled drinking, I guess, or controlling it in general, you know, I was like, well, I'll just quit the hard drugs and just drink, you know, which is a rationalization to a degree, of course. And, uh, and that I took me like Jack Daniels took me to some really dark places that I, you know, just like any other, whatever it would be to me um because i've tried a lot and um yeah so that wasn't really a good plan and i actually actually had a plan where you know as a in a punk rock band you're not in a limo you know you're in a van um and i had to even hide my drinking from my band you know in the end my plan would be to like drink all night and into the morning and then pass out all day so i actually wouldn't drink all day <laughs> that was kind of that was one of my plans uh, you know that's a sad plan you know they're out in Mount Shasta in the snow making a snowman and I'm passed out in the van you know yeah I want to reiterate to all, all the listeners that you know alcohol is by far the most dangerous drug out there I you know it yeah it's bad it's I could agree with that in my in, certainly in my case I think the thing is where and it talks about this in the book, alcoholics tend to perish versus OD, you know, and as Wes said, they're, you know, the guitar player, the interim guitar player between before, and, you know, and when he got the gig died of alcoholism. And it certainly could have been the case for me, or I could have just dragged it out another 20 years, you know, uh, because, and the social acceptance of it, you know, it's everywhere. Unless you're in a dry County at six o'clock, on a Sunday, 
<laughs> and it's locked. My favorite band of all time. We used to joke about it. Grateful Dead. <laughs> we, we did. We, we will again until <laughs> the sun sets, maybe. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it always reminds me, you know, Ron McGurnan, who was the original keyboardist for them um, from, you know, 65 up until 1974, when he died, um, his liver hemorrhaged. Right. And he was and he was in that 27 year year old list. Right. Yeah. It just boom one day, you know, who knows how much I've done damage I've done over, you know, drinking an 18 pack a day for uh, it started with one. And by the end I'm drinking an 18 pack a day. Yeah. And it's the, you know, and that's the thing, you know, especially in the music world, it's, you know, the, the ones that hit the drugs hard, hit the alcohol hard, and they don't stop die young. The only bands that survive are the ones that get clean. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of uh, evidence to back that up for sure. Uh, you know, or, or the guys who never were. I remember literally when I, I had to move across town, I was moving high schools a lot. So I had some friends that retained, but I went from Fullerton to Stanton military school. Finally, I begged my mom to let me go to public school, which went up in La Habra actually. Um, and there's a guitar shop up there. And there was a guy that uh, taught guitar and I had never seen somebody play guitar that well in person. I saw him play at a backyard party. He now plays for Paul McCartney. Um, Paul discovered him. And, but it wasn't even until I got sober that I looked at this guy and every time I had seen him, I'd never seen him out of control or drunk. He was always very respectful and I got it right. You know, at some point I was like, you know, um, this guy's probably not an alcoholic and I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now you are, um, obviously in rock to recovery now. Yes. And you are a big shirt. Got the hat. Big, yeah, big part of that um, organization. And it's a big part of me, yeah. And I, you know, with um, with Wes, you know, obviously him being on here, and I loved having him as a guest. Um, and obviously, I didn't know him at all. I knew you. That's why I was trying to get you on the show. Right. Uh, yeah, I got the shout out. <laughs> <laughs> it's on tape. It's on tape. <laughs> and. Uh, um, but I love the concept and kind of what I had said, Thank with you. Wes, yeah. you know, with what I had said with Wes was that, you know, I had sort of done that same idea. Right. I saw, I heard the story. Yeah. And the power in getting people to open up and talk about things that they never would, but they do it through music. Right. Which is, is very common in music itself on any level, whether it's, um, getting jiggy with it, or it's, you know, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door, using metaphors to say what you may be uncomfortable talking about to anybody in real life or, you know, or, you know, something funny. It doesn't always have to be that way, but it, as far as the means to express yourself, for sure. But then you can sing it, not talk about it. Then you can you sing it. <laughs> which my band doesn't let me do. So I actually don't get to sing it, but I get to play it. So <laughs> it's okay. Yes, a punk rock band is not, it, it could be dangerous to be a singer in a punk rock band if you have a mic stand. So I'm okay with that. 
because you sort of can just go off on tangents. Well, somebody could hit the mic when they jump up on the stage and it could hit you in the face. That's the dangerous <laughs> part about it. Literally the, happened before. Yeah. The mosh pits and the crazy. Yeah. And that's what you want. I mean, that's, you know, like I, I grew up, uh, getting into punk rock maybe late i don't know i wasn't even the punk rock guy in the crowd who got in band i had long hair you know but the ramones had long hair so um it's that energy that goes along with punk rock that was exciting and you you had mentioned uh before you know the essence the primal essence of music that you were talking about i i think that punk rock um really taps into that on a level of very basic aggression. You know, if you look back in history, what were the, you know, what were the Vikings doing? What were the Mayans doing? What were these people doing in regards to their music? They were playing drums, you know, the Tico drums or these big drums. Because it's not only, it's not only hearing it, but it's feeling it. I mean, absolutely. You know, I remember, you know, being at all the dead shows that I went to and, you know, Jerry Garcia would, you know, the one of the greatest improvisational, you know, guitarists, you know, that would take his band in just some odd places and they sort of had to always catch up to him, <laughs> you know. And but I always remembered, you know, he would just go into these guitar riffs and the drumming and it would it would give you the chills. I mean, it, it was would a like, jam. Yeah, they would go on. the They would have a song and just go somewhere else with it you know yeah, they take, a, they'd take an, a song that was eight minutes on an album and turn it into a 35 minute song yeah right <laughs> and that was powerful and that's what really you know took a lot of people you know to that just because it was so it was always something like you never knew where it was going to go right and that in itself is exciting yeah. now as always, as I like to ask Wes this question, um, and I want to ask you the same question, what would be a story that you could tell of an experience that you had with a client that just gave you this like, wow? I, you know, I watched, the, I watched your episode with Wes and it's so many. Um, and I don't think a lot of people really grasp what Rock Tree Recovery does and that's okay. Um, and um, but uh, and even even myself, I, I got the job. We talk about maybe, you know, being in the right place at the right time, a God shot or whatever you call it in AA or however you feel about it. You know, I've been in the right place at the right time many times as far as trying to make a music career. Hi. <laughs> and it didn't work out too well. Right. Um, it didn't laugh. It didn't last, right? <laughs> yeah. One thing that has stuck with me is, you know, a term that says an alcoholic or an addict will adjust their goals to meet their behavior. And when I got sober, I was able to adjust my behavior to meet my goals. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Somebody was like, dude, be a drug and alcohol counselor. I'm like, uh, well, I got nothing else going on. I, I can't make it as a punk rock. I couldn't even make it as a punk rocker. You know, um, and uh and I had, you know, stepping into a band like D.I. was like perfect, you know, already established this and that. But like I said, you know, we're kind of an underground band. It's not like we're going to win a Grammy or anything, you know, or would want to. Um, and uh, so I was like, OK, well, maybe I'll just go to school and check it out, you know. Um, and I did. And then all of a sudden, 
I'm going into school and then I'm graduating and Wes comes into my home group. And another friend of ours was like, dude, you should check out Rock to Recovery. I'm like, what is Rock to Recovery? They're like, oh, they do music and rehab. I didn't know. Um, and uh, I remember like when I, one of the guys who trained me, uh, Brandon Jordan was like, hey dude, this job has changed me. I'm a different dude. I was like, okay, great. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I get it. Like, I didn't get it till I got it. It's one of those things. And, uh, you know, I think early on, uh, and similar to one of Wes's stories, I had this guy who was a straight up alcoholic and, um, you know, I love all kinds of music. I love country guitar. This guy had a bit of a drawl. So, and it was just me and him. And I had never done a group. The first group, usually we have maybe eight to 10 to 15 people. And this day, it was just this guy and me. He just got there. He was coming down off a binge, a drinking binge. Uh, and I know what that feels like. And he's like, I don't like music and I don't like you. <laughs> he's like, Same kind of thing. It was like, what are you doing here? And so uh, I was like, okay, well, you know, what are you into? What's your favorite band? And he's like, I don't like it. I don't like music at all. But I could tell he was from the South. So I tried and played some, you know, some country riffs and some other riffs and He's like, well, you play country guitar pretty good. I'm like, yeah, thank you. And we ended up writing a song about Jack Daniels, um, which was called Goodbye Jack. And it was like a very metaphorical song, you know, about, you know, leaving Jack up behind and taking a train to another state, literally another state, but to another state of mind. And we were laughing and joking and uh, I won't soon forget that. So maybe I made that guy's day a little bit happier, you know, and I could tell he was not feeling well. I had another guy um, in my group. I do a group at Anaheim. And uh, this guy was, you know, older than me. Um, he was, you know, you see these older alcoholics. And I'm saying that because a guy who has drank longer than me and held out is uh, in pretty bad shape <laughs> physically and mentally. Uh and uh, I could tell he was, you know, not doing so well. And he told me a story. He goes, yeah, I have a, like a 60s Strat or something, which is a very, really cool guitar that I had forever. I used to play. I haven't, it's been under my bed. You know, the old under the bed. I used to work at Guitar Center. You hear the, the story of a, a, an old guitar that's been sitting under the bed for 15 years. This is what the guy said. And I have a Stratocaster uh, that I bring. And he goes, it reminds me of my guitar. I gave him the guitar and his hands were literally shaking. He was sweating. <laughs> he could barely play, uh, let alone just sit there. And he's like, dude, I can't believe I haven't played my guitar. We jammed a song and he was part of the band. And I have, uh, you know, we could spend an hour with stories. I've been doing Rock to Recovery, you know, for 55, over, just over five years, July, August, yeah. And, uh, uh, thousands of groups later I, and this, it's i still get this reaction you know today how hard is it sometimes to get people to get out of that uncomfortability um like <laughs> there was the example of the guy but once you get it going it kind of i think and some of the ways that we get people involved is to use the topic of discussion and use that as a, a catalyst to write either lyrics or get an idea of how we want the song to go, whether it's, you know, emotion wise or mellow or rock or whatever. 
um, you see them, even if they're reluctant, kind of come out and out of their shell. And it may not even be the first time and like, cause usually clients could be there 30 days to 60 to 90 days. So you would see them over a period of weeks. They may not really understand or get it. Some come right out and, uh, and are just, woo, you know, and some other ones you want to get, encourage them to do it with like Russ was talking about the shaker thing, give them a shaker or get them on the keyboards playing a little bit of guitar or just singing and clapping. It's li literally magical. It, it really is cool. Yeah. It's so funny. I don't, I don't think I'd said this before, but <clears throat> when I first time I ever picked up the guitar was um, before I got married. Right. And, and my mom won or my, my wife, uh, you know, we were going to do our own vows. And so I was thinking about it and I was like, you know what? I'm going to play and I'm going to sing. Yeah. Right? I love you, babe. Well, I ended up doing a uh, grateful dead. Um, I, I could have guessed that. I lied that the, the, uh, the vow was like what? 30 minutes long or something. No, no, yeah, no, no, no. It <laughs> was, uh, vows. It was, yeah, it was, uh, if I had the world to give, it was probably really the only true love song that the dead ever did. Right. And it was such a difficult song number, for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, literally, I was like, had to learn the guitar. Yeah, um, and the dad, it, I may not be a huge Grateful Dead fan, but I am, you know, respectful of their jams. They're all over the place when it comes to that. Key, key, uh, and, then I had, and then I had to learn to be comfortable in singing. Right, and you want to look cool, right? You got your suit on. <laughs> Looking cool is half the battle. Yeah, and so, and then, of course, singing at the, the tone of Jerry was uh, kind of a reach. Right. <laughs> you know another thing is you know instead of having them just sit there listening to music which is cool right that's definitely an experiential therapeutic thing they're in the band so like when they hear like maybe something that they said that the singer incorporated into the song like you know one more time or i can do it you know um i'm just giving examples of that um and having them stand up and play something and, you know, getting into that, you know, I incorporate, you know, I encourage them to get up and, and you know, like they're in a band. Mm -hmm. That's how I learned, you know, and I still do it uh, when I'm preparing to go play DI I've been in for 20 years. So I kind of know the, the drill, <laughs> so to speak, uh, even though I do go over, like we just did a, uh, a show where we played a couple of songs that we haven't played in literally 15 years. There's 10 records out by DI. I'm only on three. Um, it's a lot of songs, you know? So we're like, okay, let's play Venus to Milo. We would get together and practice it for sure. Um, but when I play out with, uh, with the Sacred Sons band, which we're doing primarily covers. And I think Wes had mentioned, we have guest stars like Monty Pittman and we had Moby and Katie Seagal come play with us and Shavo. And uh, th th these types of musicians that have been up there to jam with us. Uh, I definitely, definitely have a regimented practice where I am not only conscious of how I play, but what I look like, you know, my stage presence, not necessarily the shirt I'm going to wear, but how I'm going to perform. Now, are you guys all clean in DI? No, we, okay. we, the, I could go through it but it's uh, you know some people 
some of them are doing their thing and and I, i'm sober eddie's sober um and that it, it's it works for us the the uh the dynamics of the band and it's not my place to regulate that sure you know um by any means we all grew up together and I, they're stoked that i'm sober let's put it that way you know <laughs> And we haven't had any major issues lately in those regards. So it's working and we're all getting older. You know, we kind of realize when you get older, <laughs> you have less time on the earth than you did before. You know, it's not like we're running around in a van, which we are, you know, across the United States at one time anymore. Um, and uh, we respect each other and, you know, try to give each other, the room to do whatever. What does DI stand for? So many things, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't inquire, right? Uh, <laughs> drug ideology. Uh, the one that Casey had given me before um, is disestablishmentarianism ideology, which in 1981 was the longest word in the dictionary. So that was his uh, reasoning for that drunk engines um i think there's another band called drunk engines because uh some guy just sent me an instagram thing like hey do you guys still wear the masks i'm like uh i don't think we ever wore masks bro i don't remember that day um yeah so whatever you want it to be <laughs> dial in because we're doing the orange county orange county was such a punk scene yeah right well yeah i mean it, when punk came around for sure you know uh, there was that was the nucleus of you know literally troy high school of social distortion adolescence di led zeppelin i think went to troy i'm kidding <laughs> they're from england uh but uh you know that was and essentially a lot of the same members with Mike and Casey and Rick and uh, the guys that were hanging out there. And I was, like I said, much younger. And I kind of, and my sister was older in between, you know, Casey and Mike and myself. So it was really her that she got, I remember she got the, the Sex Pistols record literally like the week it came out. It blew my mind. I'm listening to like, you know, like, you know, some Kansas in my room, you know, <laughs> figuring out, you know, dust in the wind or Freebird or something. And I hear this like, fuck this and fuck. Can we cuss on this show? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, like Johnny Rotten cussing. And I was like, this is it, man. You know, I'm down for this. And the damned, you know, Phantasmagoria. And of course the Ramones, um, it was like a whole new thing, stripped down. So now, um, so you got Rocks of Recovery that you're doing. You got DI that you're doing. What else you got? You got other things that you're working on? I, I know we had uh, talked about Yeah, people. I mean, it's, it's uh, and we were talking about this. I think one of the questions you sent me was, what does Rocks of Recovery mean to me? You know, um, it means a purpose that I didn't even know. Uh, part of what we do is we work with the United States Air Force. There's a whole other aspect is that we get to go out to Air Force bases and work with the Air Force wounded warriors, veterans, and their families. Uh, I mean, it's mind-blowing. And, you know, if 
if you go, if anybody knows what punk rock stands for, the ethos is anarchy. Um, I was a, a wannabe an anarchist when I was a kid living in Orange County. <laughs> Rebel. <laughs> I was rebelling against the system. Um, you know, and, uh, but my stepdad was a decorated uh, pilot in Vietnam. And I was like, you're not my dad. You can't tell me what to do. No respect in that regard for authority or, uh, you know, people in the service. I never had the desire to serve uh, and never in a million years thought that I would be working with the Air Force. Um, and it totally changed. It didn't change. It did change my views. But my point is, is that I still wouldn't want to enlist. It's a little late in the game for me. But to um, to have the honor of working with these heroes uh, that I can respect. And I don't have it's. I don't have to be on a political fat platform to do that. Um, and it, once again, you said music is the international language and that's, it was intimidating for me, you know, and Wes was the one who made this happen and um, to go in with these heroes and veterans, you know, and, um, but the, at the end of the day, it's asking for help is, is, is something that an addict or somebody with PTSD or somebody struggling with addiction or mental health issues can reach out and be on the same plane on that. And music can help us connect in that regard. It's hard for a lot of people to ask for help. Right. It, you know, there's that, we had talked about it, you know, with some veterans in, in rock recovery where there's that term, you know, got your six, but when you get out of a mission and you're out there and, or, especially, you know, if you're injured and you can't, there's that kind of pride thing that's it's hard for them to ask for help. And I, on that level, I can uh, relate where I, you know, I, I don't know if it was pride. It was like all kinds of different things for me, but I, you know, I didn't want to ask for help. I didn't want it. I didn't think I needed it. I didn't, you know, there was that example of, you know, my best friend getting sober. I was like, well, maybe this will work. So, yeah. And uh, as a result of that, I had, like I said, I wasn't always the punk rocker. I love punk rock, but uh, quite frankly, I was into a lot of other stuff. When I was growing up, my mom's a big Carpenters fan. Um, and when I first met Eddie before DI, he's in a band with his dad. They're playing all these old standards like, you know, Georgia, all the way back to Spike Jones, the original Spike Jones from the 30s, um, Hold That Tiger. And and uh, and it, it blew my mind. I was like, wow, these guys know everything, you know, uh, they're going from thirties to punk rock. And if you think about it, you know, and I've talked to Casey about this and guys that were in that first wave of California punk, or I got to talk with Marky Ramone, like, what is your favorite band? Before the Ramones, before the Sex Pistols, before the Damned, what were they listening to? Mm -hmm. You know, they were listening to Boston and ELO and the Beatles and, and drawing from those types of, because punk rock didn't really exist at, at that time. Yeah, I mean, like, who was the first guy to do it? Malcolm McLaren, or was it, you know, The Damned, or was it, you know, Billie Eilish? Who knows? Um, <laughs> yeah. Right? So, yeah, I, I drew from, and also, in before um, I got in DI, and when I was a struggling musician, uh, I got in a cover band, and I was literally playing in bars like the Blues Brothers for four years, four hours a night. And we actually had to play. We were playing everything from Johnny Cash to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, and that's where I learned how to play bass. And that's where I ended up getting the gig with Rock Recovery. By default, there's eight, at that time, 
six or seven guitar players. I'm like, I'll play bass. Um, and I enjoy playing the instrument. So that opened up a whole new door for us. And um, then Wes wanted to do another project and he asked me to play bass. So we're doing a band called Human, H-U-3-M-3-N. And uh, that's somewhere between Radiohead, Depeche Mode and, and some other rock bands. Um, and that's exciting. You know, we're older. We've been uh, the uh, we got the drummer from Train to jam on some songs with us. We're working with the guys from Orgy to help us mix it. Um, I'm not going to bring a, a, a broom and a dustpan to pick up all the name dropping. But it's my point is, is that we have some experienced and also sober guys that are, are part of the mix. And it feels good whether we, you know, make it. And that's a whole different term to us i think now um mm -hmm. we want to do it the right way so we're uh, very passionate about how well it's done and how we do it down to the marketing and the and visually you know we're we're passionate about that and we're taking it seriously but you know and i i can't speak for everybody but you know i know that at the end of the day if nothing happens to it i'm not going to drink over it you know sure. and that is that at the end of any day, I think that's my goal. You know, I wrote that book, you know, that I wrote was, you know, was pain, failure and misery are the stepping stones to success, you know, right? and you know, failure doesn't exist unless you actually give up, you know, or what does that actually really mean? I mean, it's like, you what know, does that you, mean? Yeah. You know, if you went about doing something that you enjoyed and you absolutely loved and it didn't hit the top 10, you know, you know, kind of type of scenario, you still had fun, you still enjoyed it, you know, and it still have may, may have meant something to you. Right. Well, I love history of bands like, you know, the classic four is a, quite literally a classic example of some band who you probably never even heard of. They wrote Spooky and, and, uh, and Traces and had a number two and a number three hit they just never met you know where are they now you know what i mean um but what you were talking about yeah it's it's the journey not the destination but uh luckily i didn't give and what you were talking about is like i didn't know where to go like i tried to give up i'm like you know i was working as a teacher's aide i worked as a waiter i did i couldn't make it in, in college you know a lot for many different reasons um and i was like you know, and I kept going thinking, like, maybe I'll get that break, you know. <laughs> 10 years goes by, 20 years, you know. And then Brock to Recovery comes along. I get sober, you know. And I'm like, wow, I found a passion that I can uh, turn into a career as a job and also utilize, you know, that's what we, I was talking about with my friend. Like, I'm in a unique position to utilize talking about all the stupid drunken episodes I've done. And, and as part of, you know, if a guy from DI can stay sober and go out and become a drug and alcohol counselor and tour the world and play with the dude from Corn and Madonna's guitar player and Moby and Lindsay, I got to go play with Lindsay Sterling last year uh, for a benefit for Chester Bennington's widow. Uh, she's one of the premier violin players in the world and they, gave me the opportunity to go play. We played final countdown of all things. <laughs> and uh, I mean, come on, you know, that's like a dream come true. I never thought I could be as cool as Bowie. 
Uh, but I thought maybe I could be the guy behind Bowie, like Earl Slick, remember, you know, um, or all the guitar players he said, maybe I could be the guy behind the guy that's cool. And I've achieved that. And that feels good. It's a natural high. Let me tell you. You know, it was like somebody like Chester Bennington. So obviously he had committed suicide. And I, had, I have a question on, on that, you know, within the music world. You know, you look at him who was, I mean, he was big, you know, he was, you know, well-known, that kind of stuff. And I'm one of the biggest in the world, for sure. And how does that, you know, play out in terms of depression? I mean, is that something that's, well, he, do you think it's mental illness or do you think it's a life of like loneliness? I think, well, it's what I think, you know, and I, I, I'm not, it's out of my scope to, of practice so to, speak, to diagnose anybody. What I think is it's a combination of a lot of things. Um, and Wes has talked about this and we've even talked about this on a personal level. It's like, you know, a guy like Chester. Chester actually used to go to my club out here uh, and I had seen him and here's a great example. I had seen him at one of my groups and I was like, and he was wearing like a trench coat or whatever. I'm like, ooh, dude, is that Chester? And I'm thinking, well, I'm in DI. Does he even know who DI is? Can I even approach him on that level? Uh, I didn't even want to like go up to him because he's probably getting hit up by tons of, can I get your, you know, I don't want to take a picture of the aiming, but you know what I'm saying? Yep. Even I, I felt like intimidated by even kind of bothering him. Uh, and maybe on the other side of that, he felt isolated from being just a normal alcoholic. One of the herd, I could go to a meeting anywhere in the world and just say, I'm putting, I didn't talk about DI and I still don't, People know me and my meaning now, especially because of Rock Recovery, because I'm out there. But the first couple of years, I never talked about anything I did in AA. And like some people in my group didn't even know I was in a band. Right? I think that's the way he wanted it, even though, of course, like somebody like that with such a huge profile public image um, could be rather isolating and cut you off from what Wes was talking about is that the opposite of addiction is connection. And if, you know, if you combine that with some, you know, some mental health struggles, you know, um, and whatever was going on, if there's, you know, at the end of my run, I was displaying all kinds of different symptoms of things going on with me. You know, I felt crazy. I felt depressed. I felt confused. I felt all these things. I wasn't myself by any, I didn't even know who I was. I hadn't been myself for 20 years. So yeah. And on, and on that level, how, who do you go, who do you reach out to? Uh, you know, and if, if, if there's millions of dollars on the line, your band, not necessarily, I'm not saying his band was pressuring, but the pressure of success and to, to keep that machine going, there's a lot of money and people on the line that in itself is, uh, you know, a big responsibility. Well, and especially for somebody that feels like, you know, they, their fans, you know, right, and the fans up there, and so I need to be it. there and we need to play, you know, for my fans. That was always the story of, of going back to Grateful Dead of Jerry Garcia. You Absolutely. Know? Remember when he, when Jerry, what did he OD and he forgot how to play guitar or something? Oh yeah. No, he went into a diabetic coma. Oh, that's right. It was. Yeah. Was well, al alcohol is sugar, you know, yeah, but he, but he, um, you know, they did that documentary and, you know, he literally hit fame so quick that he was, 
he'd be in a hotel room and people would be climbing the balconies. Right. Can you imagine that? Crazy. And he, and he said he always, there, there was like this real loneliness that he felt in life. Right. Felt, and that's that self-isolation. Yeah. You couldn't, you can't really be out and just be, can't he said, be too, somebody. he said, you know, all these people have a grateful dead. We don't have that. Right. You don't even have that. Right. And I, I get to walk in between those worlds a little bit. Um, I've had a certain degree of, I guess, success, not necessarily hugely monetarily. I've toured the world with my guitar and, and I, and that's all I ever wanted as a kid. You know, I thought like I bring up Jimmy Page cause he lived in a castle and, he had his own plane, you know, and he had like custom pants and a 59 less fall. Um, and, you know, that's what I was like, Ooh, that sounds pretty cool. Um, and uh, now it's not that I need that. I I'm, I'm all about, you know, having, I think at this point too, like I said, if I were to be successful, I would be handling it in a much different way than I would have if it happened early on, like huge success. Like I came up through the, I came up through the cover band punk rock circuit <laughs> and that's not a bad way to go. Let me tell you, you know, it's a little tough. I, I, I think one of the, one of the joys of being a, a sober punk rock guy is in some band, you know, that people know is that I get these younger musicians or kids, you know, that are in punk rock bands. Like, how do you do it? You know, mm-hmm. I want to be in some punk rock band. I'm like, well, just get ready to go to the shittiest part of town, USA, wherever you're at in a van. <laughs> and stay at motel six you know or in the van you know um and uh <laughs> i've been to a lot of hotels and uh, you know, truck stops and i even wrote a song about the flying J because i love the flying J. um you know and i i know a lot of roads between here and new york that a lot of truckers have been on and i now i've been to, i've been in a van and got to explore europe with di and that is so cool you know a dream come true now we're not always like i said hugging each other there's a lot of yelling going on get in the van um but the program has helped me to you know navigate through those waters so to speak aside from even the 12-step program stuff like that you know what are things that that you do that really help you in recovery that really kind of uh you know wow yeah bring apart that passion, that excitement, or, or, you know, what, what has helped you even aside from the music, obviously there's a lot of people out there that don't play music. Um, right. Well, you know, people that listen to music, um, ironically enough, I don't listen to music as much as maybe a common person. I don't like to drive and listen to music for the most part. Um, cause I'm always playing, you know, um, but on just on any level, staying connected, I think I, early on now, whether it was like my sponsor talks about the window of opportunity, which I totally believe it is, I was pretty beat up. So I was getting older. I was having some serious health issues as a result of my drug and alcohol use. And that was a pretty big reason to at least take a break. You know, mm-hmm. I had no intention of really staying sober in the beginning. Um, but early on, and even I, you know, my, even, I told you, my bass player said, you know, I don't want to have to be the one that calls your mom. He also said, if you're going to do this, don't have assets. So to have an example there that of this guy that you were neck and neck with 
that it worked on because he got so about a year or two before a year and a half to two years before I did. And I was, was waiting for him. I'm like, dude, let's hit it. You know, one more time. He's like, Nope. Um, and I kind of went into it and I think maybe it's my pragmatic nature and I was totally spiritually bankrupt. You know, I was under the belief that, you know, willpower would make me a rock star. Um, and, uh, I embraced it and I, I really kind of got into it and started a pattern early on. I called my sponsor yesterday or the day before. I might, I call him pretty much every day. I'm about 95% on that for 16 years. I prayed this morning. I haven't meditated yet, but I, I'm trying to make a goal to meditate every day this year. <laughs> we'll mm -hmm. see. Um, no, but that's something, like I said, that I see in my sponsor and in my boss, Wes, that that I could, I'm aware, I stay connected for sure. I have my sponsees try to call me every day. So I've got that trifacto. I'm going to a meeting tonight, my home group. Uh, yeah, after 16 years, I'm still doing this stuff I was doing er in early sobriety because I don't want to, it was such a game changer for me that if that's all I have to do, then that's easy. Yeah, the one thing I've always seen within you too is humility. Thank you. I don't yeah. know if, if I feel that all the time, but <laughs> if I exude it, that's great. No, you do. You show it. I, you know, I, I've worked, or, you know, with a lot of years I've worked with, you know, even as counselor with people in the entertainment industry is, you know, they could be right. actors, they could be musicians, you know, things like that. And I got to say, honestly, the ones that I would love to have just seen like get kicked out of the treatment or even not be there are the ones that are just like their heads are this big, <laughs> you know, and having to deal with, you know, that kind of stuff. And it always frustrated right. me, you know, and, um, and I always felt too kind of sad for them because, you know, a lot of those people, they're not going to make it, you know, until you can get out of that, you know, Oh, you know, uh, you know, the world revolves around me. Oh, you know, I'm famous or I'm this or I'm that. Um, they're screwed. Yeah. How many uh, lead singers does it take to screw in a light bulb? <laughs> right. I'm not going to tell you. Maybe we should go with lead guitarist. Um, yeah. I, you know, specifically remember getting kicked out of my own show here in Orange County. Um, and I'm telling the bouncer, you know, don't you know, I literally just got off stage. Obviously, I, was in, I wasn't in a blackout because I remember it. I'm like, don't you know who I am? And he goes, of course I know who you are. And he literally throws me out. And the band's laughing. Of course, I don't have a car. So I'm stuck in the parking lot for the next hour while the, the other band goes on. And uh, at my own show. And I just broke my last beer. So on the ground, you don't know who I am. Uh, I'm lucky the guy didn't kick my ass. The only reason he didn't is because, you know, I'm in the band, I guess. And, um, and I was at a, I was like, fuck this guy. That guy's an asshole. I see, I get sober. This is a few years later. I see the guy at target. Right. I'm like, well, I'm going to try this immense thing again. You know, it's worked out before. This is a hard one, man. He didn't recognize me. This guy is six, four bouncer. Like he's a, he's a badass. And I'm telling this guy to, you know, go fuck himself. And uh, I walk up to him and say, hey, bro, you, <laughs> hey, dude, you remember me? And he looks at me, he's like, no, I look like a different guy, you know? Um, probably had different color hair back then, too. I did. I was red and spiked. Uh, 
I was like, hey, I was that guy, you know, and he's like, oh, my God, his eyes like I could see him circling back, you know, um, in his mind. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm sober. I wanted to apologize for my actions. And I'm trying. And it's not, you know, if you know the AA thing, it's not about saying you're sorry. But in this case, you kind of do. And I was like, I've made, you know, I've tried to be a different dude. I try not to act like that anymore. And he goes. I've been a bouncer for 15 years and not one musician has ever approached me and said, sorry for being an asshole. <laughs> you made my day. And I was like, whoa, you know, and that's part, I guess, you know, you, if you humble yourself, maybe you can exude some humility, I guess that might be a, you know, a formula for that. It felt good for me. And I'm pretty sure if it made that guy's minute, <laughs> yeah. that's just one example of it. No. Yeah. Well, hey, man, I want to thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. Sorry I uh, stalled you for so long. <laughs> and like Wes said, you know, I, uh, I am more than a musician for DI now. One of my dreams was to be a producer. And I ended up being able to produce a DI record, which was a lot more than I had bargained for time-wise. Um, but I did learn a lesson. And now I have the... Uh, satisfaction of having done it myself which i don't know if i'll do again but <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah you know why the eagles sound the way they do yeah well thanks for doing this man i really appreciate Dude. you coming on taking the time my pleasure uh, so i want to thank everybody for tuning into another episode of high wall clean keep getting high let's do it clean and sober high on life dude <laughs> take care thank you